Blog Talk Radio. Charles Collingsworth at the White House in Washington, D.C. For many of you, this will be your first visit to this historical landmark. Our tour through these hallowed halls will be conducted by the First Lady.
grandfather and your white great-grandfather sold my great-grandfather and your white grandfather raped my grandmother and your father stole, cheated, lied and robbed my father. What kind of a fool would I have to be to say, come, my friend, to the white daughter and son? Good evening, America. This is your president. Please listen carefully to the announcement I'm about to make. After careful consideration and research, Vice President Duke, Congress, and myself have concluded that black people have not advanced technologically. Their educational testing scores are on a rapid decline. The vast majority of them are on welfare and producing babies at a faster rate than they can support them. And we will not carry them anymore. We are left with no other choice but to put slavery back into effect. All blacks will report to the designated camps in their area to receive further orders. The only blacks excused will be those serving in the United States military and the police. Any blacks who do not cooperate will be terminated immediately. I repeat, slavery is back in effect. We at war! That's what I told you. I know you heard what the president said, and if the nigga don't move, then he's dead. It's time for us to take the stand. Woman to woman and man to man. Blood pressure through your veins, you feel the fear. Who'd have thought that it could happen here? In the land of the free, home of the brave. The year's 95, you're a slave. Mama used to show 
around this concept and others today as we discuss the theme Africa is fighting. That's our theme tonight on the 26th of February 2023. Like always, we encourage you to come and join us by dialing in at 323-679-0841. Like always, we're going to speak truth to the powerful and the powerless. And we're going to try to provide you with information so that you can use it as a tool for liberation. That's to help liberate your people and to help liberate humanity from all of the various forms of oppression. We welcome you to Africa on the Moon every Sunday evening at 7 p.m. Eastern Time, U.S. At this point in time, you know how we always get started with our party. That is, we're going to introduce to you our political panelists and analysts for today's program. So let's continue to travel down this road of liberation by first bringing in Brother Haki, and we'd like to welcome him to Africa on the Move. Welcome, Brother Haki. Uh, Brother Africa, thanks for having me. My name is Haki Kamati Mashoki, Corona with African Awareness. And of course, Brother Africa, you know my thing is all about institution building. But prior to any real discussion on institution building, I think there's certain information that has to be uh, imparted to the masses of people in terms of understanding, you know, with some clarity, uh, the situation that we currently find ourselves confronted with. Uh, one of the things, when we talk about capitalism, one of the things that's a tendency to perceive capitalism as something that is not. In other words, the tendency uh, to, <clears throat> to perceive the emperor has no clothes is something that's problematic for a lot of people. In fact, to the extent that people begin to see the emperor has no clothes, so they begin to understand something fundamentally is skewed in terms of how capitalism manifests itself. But anyway, Brother Africa, I want you to check this out. Now, in the case of U.S. imperialism, it has consistently demonstrated the emperor has no clothes. Notions of U.S. social political superiority over the last 60 years have been questioned. And over the last 20 years, reinvigorated proclamations of such have manifested among leaders of oppressed states daring to question the historical motivation and modus operandi of U.S. economic relations with the global South. Recently, Naledi Pandor, South African foreign minister, boldly proclaimed South Africa will participate in military drills with Russia and China because hosting such exercises with friends is a natural course of events. J.J. Ondongo, a foreign minister of Uganda, was more emphatic. He stated, Uganda's military cooperation with Russia is a matter of life and death for the African nation, adding, Kampala is determined to preserve the Russian relationship despite pressure and threats of sanctions from the West. Now, the tenacity of these African leaders to challenge the hegemony of U.S. imperialism belies a strong sense of principle. But what is it about their sense of principle that evades so many leaders in the U.S.? In the U.S., inequality is pervasive, and the kind of inequality is such the fundamental offenders of the system should facilitate revulsion on a mass scale, calling into question U.S. hypocrisy and the erroneous claiming U.S. exceptionalism. 
No else USA uh, hypocrisy more noted than the U.S. economy. Recently, the Congressional Budget Office indicated, as a result of U.S. economic policy empowering the wealthy, the national debt of the U.S. will increase by $19 trillion in less than one, one decade. National debt increase in no small part is a result of governmental transfer of wealth to the wealthy using various schemes to transfer credit to the wealthy. Among those schemes to transfer wealth to the wealthy involves interest rates. Typically, assets that increase in value, assets like land, property, and treasury bonds, are accompanied by capital gains taxes that lowers the level of taxes on wealth, ensure the wealthy avoids paying their fair share of taxes, thus increasing their wealth. The scheme does not end there. With the expansion of the credit market, credit afforded to wealthy increases, where interest rates increases not only ensures the assets the wealthy acquires increases in value, but it contributes directly to the government of debt. In the case of government debt, much of the debt is purchased by the wealthy. For example, treasury bills beholden to wealthy investors must ensure interest rates favorable to investments. Ironically, the supply-demand curves are waived, and interest rates are established to ensure government deficits while the, wealth, while the wealthy prosper. Now, <clears throat> now, stru now, structural inequality of capitalism has a transverse, transverse borders. Inequalities encoded in capitalism exist because the pursuit of capital justifies the destruction of economic opportunity to increase access to available capital. In other words, the creation or expansion of markets ensures accumulation of capital to offset the inevitable decline of profits. An example, market expansion allows for U.S. control over foreign economies. In the case of China, Cuba, Venezuela, and Nicaragua, all these countries have embarked on economic policy where the wealth of the country will benefit all the citizens, not just the wealthy. Employing economic policy that benefit all citizens systematically reduces capitalism's profits because these countries limit the ability of the U.S. to exploit their resources because the resources of these countries benefit the citizens. U.S. response to countries' desire to end poverty, homelessness, and lack of education is to economically and militarily attack these countries to force them to make their resources available for U.S. profits. In the case of these countries, they have been successful in preventing the U.S. from stealing their resources for profits. As a result of defending their economies, U.S. markets are limited and no profits realized in a big way, and the U.S. economy suffers as a result. <clears throat> and U.S. Need, and as a result, U.S. imperialism needs to create markets for the benefit of capitalist class, both in those countries and in the United States. Now, stated another way, capitalism pension to measure economic growth in quarters of three-month period measures productivity not on planning, but how quickly exploitation resources and or labor can be utilized to achieve profits. Inefficient use of natural resources, which we call scarcity, and decline of wages, which we call poverty, are the systematic outcomes of capitalism, all geared toward profits and not the interests of the economy, U.S. otherwise. And now, in the case of Africa, the ill effects of capitalism are probable. 70% of least developed countries reside in Africa. According to the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank, structural adjustment programs starting in the 1980s formulated policies in Africa specifically to cut public spending, increase taxes on the poor, cuts of social spending, including education. Abiding by the mandates of these Western financial institutions has resulted in crippling austerity for Africa. 52% of Africans on the continent lack access to health care, 43 out of 55 African Union members face public expenditures cuts of $183 billion as of last year, while African states are saddled with a minimum debt payments of $43 billion, this according to Oxfam. 
Now, Africa must change its paradigm by rejecting Western imperialism. Now, previously, I admitted to my consternation why so many in the U.S. failed to perceive the emperor has no clothes. There is no question socialization plays a big part in citizens rallying around the flag and making, and making sense of irony consuming the society. Aside from the nefarious function of government indoctrination, lies a more autonomous socialization emanating from capitalism itself and the neoliberal values of austerity, inequality, hyper-individualism, and lack of compassion encoded in capitalism. Implicit in the outgrowth of neoliberalism is Gnosticism. While some argue Gnosticism is rational on some level, most would argue Gnosticism on a mass level sets a dangerous precedent. Just as neoliberalism embraced lack of empathy or compassion, Gnosticism sees these, these traits as commonplace. Now, ironically, antisocial behavior, indicative of Gnosticism, once found upon 50 years ago, are now embraced by capitalism. Lack of regard for others, the poor ethnic minorities in society, for their safety, along with a lack of remorse, seems perfectly suited for an e economic system in decline, barely needed of scapegoats to blame for its economic ills. Ironically, the emergence of Gnosticism is the positive side of the equation. Gnosticism does not necessarily embrace violence, but in just supposing that one out of 200 Gnosticists residing in the U.S., according to FBI documents, fail in comparison to the one in 100 sociopaths residing in the U.S., according to the FBI Law Enforcement Bulletin. Sociopaths, defined as individuals who behave aggressively or impulsively, feel little of any guilt for the harm they cause others or use a manipulation to see the controlling behavior. That seems to define politicians generally in the U.S. and the world specific, in the world generally. When Dr. Thomas Premuslin of the Business Psychology Magazine concluded one out of five business leaders in the U.S. are sociopathic, the revelation makes sense. Business leaders who routinely blame others for unemployment, homelessness, and inequality as some personal defect could only justify such a stand if they truly believe the lives of the poor do not count. In addition, working to create conditions to justify suffering suggests one's worth is defined by the devaluing of other lives, which suggests the devaluing of others lives exist to compensate for one's inability to see themselves as less than human. Certainly, this seems to explain the tenets of capitalism with, his, with all this death and destruction. Now, what do you know? After all, the emperor has no clothes. I think for us, we have to come to the realization that is a reality, and the reality is that the emperor having no clothes is not going to change anytime soon. And Brother Africa, I'll close with that. Thank, thank you, Brother Haki. Next. We'd like to go to Brother Anthony. We'd like to invite him to Africa on the Moon. Brother Anthony, welcome to Africa on the Moon. Thanks for having me, Brother Africa. Revolutionary greetings to you, the fellow panelists, and the listening audience. My name is Anthony Williams. I'm an organizer for the All-African People's Revolutionary Party, GC. I objectivist Pan-Africanism the total liberation and unification of Africa under scientific socialism. Okay, Father and Brother Anthony, we now will bring in Brother Moses uh, with the D.C. Metro Coalition in support of the Cuban Revolution. Brother Moses, welcome to Africa on the move. Thank you, thank you, Brother Africa, and greetings to everyone within the sound of my voice especially the illustrious panelists. My name is Robert Andrew Moses, and I've been in the struggle for scientific socialism from the moment I was introduced to Marxism during a government class back in my high school years, 1968. 
I call Marxism the race to cure racism. I bear witness that there's one God, Jesus, who is the author and finisher of my faith, and that Mao Zedong is his messenger for government. Fathers, help your children. We don't reverse correct verdicts. I'm pro-choice, and I vote. I bear witness that women hold up half the sky. Therefore, I'm for the Equal Rights Amendment, ERA, yes. And the struggle continues to be to unite the many to defeat the few, the 99% versus the interests of the 1%, and how we can advocate and be change this socialized production and private appropriation system into a socialized production, socialized appropriation system. The workers are not just demanding a higher wage for the wage slave, but they're adding some for into the wage slave system itself. And so the struggle continues to be on the correct path versus the incorrect path. Those who cloak themselves in Marxist garb versus those who are genuine Marxists. And I will close with that. And thank you for allowing me to be on the show, Brother Africa. So it's a pleasure to have you, Brother Moses, and from Brother Moses, we now will go to Sister Eleanor, and we would like to welcome her as well to Africa on the Moon. Welcome, Sister Eleanor. Good evening, Brother Africa and fellow panelists, and to our listening audience in the United States and abroad. Thank you so much for inviting me to participate in this evening's forum. I look to another enlightening and exciting show. Uh, thank you so much. And um, uh, we're celebrating a wonderful event. Um, uh, we're celebrating the 104th, upcoming 104th anniversary of the birth of Kwame Nkrumah and uh, his great work in liberating Africa and uniting the proletariat in the colonized uh, in the, in the uh, colonies as well in the imperialist nations. Thank you so much for allowing me to participate in this evening's forum. Thank you, Sister Eleanor. And just one quick correction: we'll be honoring and looking at it will be a hundred third anniversary of his birth, Sister Eleanor. Um, oh, that's note, true, Brother Africa. But he was born in uh, September of uh, 1909 and passed in yeah. April of 1972, so I was looking forward. My apologies. No problem. So, brothers and sisters, you're listening to Africa on the Moon. Like always, we're going to stand the seat and we're going to take the heat as we define it. We're going to stand behind it. We may not give you what you want, but we'll do the best to give you what you need. What we're going to do right now, like always, we will continue down this path of liberation. We're going to take a rubbish to a caution break, and when we come back, we go open up with our segment, What's Going On in Your World Community, and we invite you as well to call us or join us by dialing 323-679-0841 and share with us what's going on in your world community. So at this point in time, we're going to our revolutionary culture break, and when we come back, we will discuss with our political panelists and analysts what's going on in their world and the community. I'm Brother Africa, and like always, we are here to serve you. So we're going to our break, and we'll be right back. This is Africa on the Move. Live by 
the significance in terms of his contributions to humanity and uh, why he was on this on this planet. So we have to acknowledge his greatness and all that he done for humanity and African people. So I just wanted to mention that. But in terms of what's going on in the community, Brother Africa, the you know the, the quintessential question I think for a lot of people, and let's be very, very candid about this, is that uh, you know when you talk about you know are we slaves under capitalism? I know that's odious to a lot of people. They wanted to believe that in fact. Slavery is something that existed historically, and now that they're free, everything is okay. But the bottom line, as you alluded to, Brother Africa, is that the form of slavery has actually changed. The, the essence hasn't changed at all. The form has merely changed. So this question in terms of are we slaves under capitalism, I thought I had to address it. I think that's, that's, that's so key in terms of our movement forward. And to, the, to the extent that we've come to the realization that something fundamentally wrong with this capitalist system, particularly in terms of you know uh, the kind of injustice that manifests with it, that clearly the uh, only coming to that realization when we begin to realize that, you know, that we have our work cut out for us and that without organization there's no conceivable way to win. So clearly, Brother Africa, this question in terms of are we slaves under capitalism has to be addressed. But in any event, Brother Africa, check this out. At some point in history, people have to disinvest from delusions declaring freedom for the masses as possible under capitalism. In fact, the quintessential element of capitalism is the creation of slaves whose existence is precarious both psychologically and materially. Judging by illicit drug and alcohol consumption in the U.S., where 4.8 million use cocaine daily, and 80% of the population earning $100,000 and up consume alcohol regularly, the implication is many are biggest vicariously aware they are enslaved on many levels, that the drugs and alcohol may mask the feeling of depression that comes with a sense of powerlessness over their daily affairs. Now, however... The degree of enslavement may differ in terms of complexity, but the rudimentary element of being enslaved under capitalism persists. A cursory exploration of the philosophical underpinnings of capitalism's tenets justifying enslavement of humanity is instructive. Henry Ford, a leading industrialist, advocated that the key to maintaining the enslavement of the masses involved keeping the multitude in debt. Debt ensures the capitalist class will maintain control over their subjects because the very existence of the poor is is under control by capitalists. Veracity of Ford's premonition is visible throughout U.S. institutions and their functions. All U.S. institutions pertinent in the discharge of democracy impose debt upon the population. Whether the institution is education, where universal debt currently is $1.7 trillion, housing, which is unattainable because of institutional corruption of the wealthy, or health care, which does not offer an alternative system of care, contributes to immense debt for the masses minimizing any chances of resistance to perceived powerlessness. Despite the fact for every $10 produced in the U.S. economy, the wealthiest 1% keeps $8, and as a consequence, the suffering of the masses is, is, is palpable. Against this backdrop, the level of social conditioning has to be affected both in terms of material deprivation and psychological variables reinforcing the alleged inferiority of the masses. Just opposed to 32 trillion in U.S. debt and the level of per capita debt of each citizen of $81,000, someone has to pay this debt. Given capitalism empowers capitalists to avoid paying their debt, then the onus to pay those debts falls on those disempowered by capitalism to pay those debts despite the hardships imposed. Now, this formula sounds eerily similar to how slaves are treated, and if this is the case, who are the slaves going to appeal to address their dilemma? Now, now, the philosophical devaluation de of life under capitalism persists to this day. Whether we're talking about George Herbert Walker Bush devolution or the destruction of the federal government 
or Bill Clinton's Personal Responsibility and Work Opportunity Act, the focus is to define more ingenious ways to reinforce the slave status of the masses. Historically, economics have been utilized to discern who is slave and who is not. In the U.S., this started by suppressing wages in the 1970s, followed by destruction of labor unions and deindustrialization of shipping factories abroad. These measures resulted in more austerity and a precarious class of poor people who would never know what it is to have a job, other than from the gig economy like ride share services, freelance work, fitness training, or tutoring. Ironically, many of these independent contractor jobs are subject to wage theft. According to the Bureau of Labor Statistics, 2.4 million workers lost over $8 billion in stolen wages. Organized theft of wages is not only relegated to small operations, but increasingly by oligarchs and major corporations who have advocated and financed and finance policy to ensure the exploitation of workers, specifically poor workers. The scheme employed is intricate, but works like this. Workers will be categorized as independent contractors, making theft of their wages legal. Prior to independent contractor labels, wages were transparent, and by the 1980s, $1 in debt or wages paid resulted in GDP growth of 2 to $3. With the advent of independent contractors and stock buybacks, along with accounting changes, corporate finances, indeed investments, are obscure, and the result on the economy devastating. Currently, it takes 7 to $9 in debt to create $1 in GDP growth. No doubt, recessionary pressures resulting from too, too much credit for, from the Federal Reserve to capitalists plays a part in this grim statistic. But the fact money in the hands of poor people via employment or social spending could have averted this downturn in the economy speaks to just how little people, poor people or working people are valued in the, in the state of the economy. Rather than expand access to credit among the masses, that interest, even in the beneficial to the economy, are discounted because in the minds of many capitalists, money is a store of value, which begs the question, why would slaves have access to a con commodity of such importance? Contemplate that for a moment. I think that's important that we do. Now, as such, as the economic, as the economic motive advocating the poor keep their place, the role of science has been indispensable in creating a pliable, gullible population that all too often embraces its subjugation without question. Political terrorist speeches espoused by right-wing politicians are calculated to overwhelm psychological systems that give people a sense of control, connection, and meaning in life, according to Judith Herman. Such speeches like critical race, critical race theory attacks reiterates any discussion of institutional racism is an attack on all white people. This strategy, according to most polls, has been effective in galvanizing most Republican partisans, which is precisely their objective. The irony is, by not allowing historical deconstruction on U.S. institutions, the possibility of discerning the class element within critical race theory, many individuals inadvertently empower systems of power to carry forth exploitation of the powerless unabated. The irony is even more conf confounding when the subconscious dimension is injected into the discussion. Fear of death is ultimately woven into human existence, and the means employed to circumvent the reality of death can make us all vulnerable to messages espousing longevity. In the case of capitalism, destruction of others is affiliated not only with the good life, but a long life. In this regard, if material accumulation is associated with eliminating others in pursuit of materialism, the logical outcome is perpetual war. By critical race theory highlighting problems of U.S. institutions, it may well be perceived as limiting whites people's chances of longevity. Unless the underlying faulty supposition that suggests sharing is tantamount to self-destruction is discredited, 
a lot of right-wing hyperbole will germinate where mass destruction becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Assuming this event comes to pass, it will not be the powerful who pay with their lives, but those whose lives are seen as superfluous, the slave class, or as capitalists would stated, the non-productive class. And Brother Africa, I close with that. Thank you, Brother Haki, for your analysis of what's going on in your world and the community. We now will go to Brother Anthony. Brother Anthony, what's going on in your world and the community? Okay, uh, there was a there was a video I saw uh, in which an African uh, youth out of Azania, uh, South Africa. Uh, observed that uh, that uh, that that in actuality slavery is still in effect in uh, in South Africa uh, because uh, the education that is given uh, to the youth does not prepare them to utilize the resources of their of their land. And uh, uh, you know, uh, to, to to develop the country, that training is uh, is provided to Europeans who do not who who, who do not even uh, live in uh, in Zanya, South Africa, but instead are trained in, in, in Europe in in uh, on how to run mines. And uh, you know, I thought it was an interesting observation that under uh, that uh, and and it coincides and it squares with the observation uh, that Nkrumah made years ago that capitalism is but a gentleman's method of slavery. And uh, while speaking of Nkrumah, this uh, this past. Uh, February 24th marks the 57th anniversary of the coup d'etat that overthrew Nkrumah and the CPP in Ghana, which uh, the Nkrumah Circle, a youth organization in Ghana, uh, marked by uh, giving an analysis of, uh, of the internal and external factors that caused uh, that led to the coup d'etat that overthrew Nkrumah and caused a massive setback not only for Ghana but for uh, but, but for Africans worldwide in the fact that it uh, that it uh, that it uh, thwarted the efforts to achieve pan-Africanism, the total liberation unification of Africa under scientific socialism, which Nkrumah dedicated his life to. And so, and so have many other Africans. Yeah, brother Anthony, I'd like to just respond, and also if the panelists has anything they want to respond to that video you were speaking to, uh, speaking about about the brother in Tanzania, talking about you know the form of slavery, like he mentions, it goes from physical slavery into more mental slavery, and it plays out in different forms. Whether it's economically, whether it's politically, whether it's um, uh, sociologically speaking, 
I mean, you think of all the various fields of discipline, all these disciplines are structural and are articulated in a way is to keep African enslaved. And I thought he was very um, corny when he made the observation about the nature of your education system and how it ties into your um, everyday life and environment. Where he made the assessment that, you know, when we talk about understanding the value of metals and minerals, kind of information and sciences are not taught in countries that basically have these metals and minerals, but yet they are taught in other countries that don't have any. Now, what does that say? That say that they have prepared other people from outside of your country to come to your country to dominate and control your minerals, and you become the workers. And this is exactly what has happened to Africans all over the world. So when you look at the educational system, it's a system that was designed by the slave masters to keep you enslaved. But I thought that was a, a, a real beautiful um, video in terms of how their brother articulated that. And he, too, is the, is, the, is the young man who looked at the infants, and he saw what he saw. The infants were buck naked, and he was a man like another man. So I thought also that was a, um, that was an interesting um, video, and it does raise your consciousness to think about how Europeans have reversed and invert everything. I think like Brother Kwame Sire used to say that um, capitalism, imperialism will make the same insane and the same Insane. They make insane, 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 insane. They invert everything. And this is what has happened to Africans over the century. So I thought that was um, really interesting. Before we go anywhere else, uh, are there any other panelists who would like to speak to that video? Because I think the brother raised so many fundamental issues. Uh, I, brother Hacking? Yeah, go ahead, brother Anthony. Go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I want to add also. The fact that they enslave us uh, spiritually or religiously, uh, exactly. because uh, you, you, uh, you, you know uh, practically every Christian denomination in the U.S. does missionary work in Africa, as if uh, as if they're only sinners in Africa for some reason, you know. And uh, so uh, you know, I think I think that's another factor that has to be kept in mind also. And the brother um, uh, made, made another interesting point, which reminded me of the conditions that exist in all settler colonies, uh, you know, uh, not, not only in, uh, in Africa, but, uh, you, know, uh, you know, throughout the world. And uh, that is what's fueling the, the massive immigration uh, uh, you know, to these capitalist countries from these countries that are that 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 are right by exploitation. And also, that's the point in terms of different forms of slavery, brother Anthony and panelists. Also, even quite even the issue issue of language, conception and language, and its limitations and how they impact on people. They're about imposing their languages on us. We have to start our creativity, our conception, how we see things, and that too is used as a form of um, a slavery. The people must come to understand the value and importance of languages. Um, Brother Haki, anything you'd like to raise and talk about as related to that video that Anthony just raised? Yeah, well, I, I think the inverted logic of capitalism is something that. Um, that fundamentally, I think, you know, something that African people has to address. 
The question, of course, is, you know, given the inverted logic that exists in capitalism, why do African people embrace it anyway? So there's a certain amount of social conditioning uh, and certain amount of indoctrination that we have uh, internalized, which makes it impossible for us, or at least very difficult for us, to make that kind of make that kind of to deconstruct, you know, what it means to talk about uh, when you talk about that kind of inverted logic, and specifically when you talk about the fact that this inverted in this, this inverted capital logic has devastating impact on the lives of African people. So it's coming upon us to first and foremost understand that there's something fundamentally skewed in terms of you know, in terms of capitalism, in terms of how it impact us, and we must no longer play along. You know, yesterday, Brother Africa, I had opportunity, I, I had a meeting, and I had opportunity, I was talking to some teachers, and I said to them, I said, listen, you know, one of the things that you know, we have to be cognizant of as teachers, and teachers ought to be on the forefront in terms of the struggle, is that we have a school-to-prison pipeline, and so they, they, they have a curriculum which ensures that the children not only don't learn, but it's essentially geared toward the kids ending up in prison. So my, 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 my perspective was this. Given that reality, then it's incumbent upon the teachers to, to change that paradox and, and how you do that. I'm mindful of the fact that if teachers actually were out front in terms of trying to change that system, they would get rid of them, and I understand that. So then let's be strategic. How about the teachers interacting with the community, put the community out front to deal with these issues, and the teachers in the background in which they, they can keep, get to keep their job, but the same token, important issues in terms of systemic changes in the education system would be addressed, you know, by the community. Well, well, one sister in particular didn't like that at all. I mean, because her, for her, the inverted logic in terms of how children ended up in prison, well, for her, wasn't an issue. It wasn't a concern. Uh, I think her thing, her analysis was that, well, give me class thing, you know, as long as my kids don't end up in prison, I don't give a damn about those other kids who end up in prison. So it's coming upon us, brother, brother Africa. You know, we need to first and foremost to, to, to some, engage some kind of self-critique, uh, some kind of self-criticism in terms of our own mindset. To the extent that we embrace a slave mentality, that we have to overcome that. Ain't no system going to help us overcome that, or uh, the system by and by and large. Uh, in fact, the way in which it perpetuates itself is to ensure that that kind of slave mentality perpetuates itself in the minds of African people. So whether we're talking about wherever we are in the world, it's upon the African people to to, to deconstruct and to reject this notion in terms of this this this, this subtle inferiority that, that we've been conditioned to believe is just natural and, and, and normal. So I think to the brother was, young brother was absolutely correct. It was good to hear the young brother talk this talk this reality. But the mere fact that you have you know your leaders you know in the African world you know, who are aware of these fundamental problems in terms of the economic arrangement as they currently exist, but yet persist on playing that game along with the West to the detriment of their own people, that is something that we have to resolve, Brother Africa. I mean, clearly, I mean, that, that mindset is something we have to resolve. And unless we do it, unless we resolve that mindset, that colonial mindset, that slave mentality, then the bottom line is that they continue to use us, you know, for the Western game. So clearly the struggle is on us to change our perception in terms of, you know, how the world is organized and how the world works. Brother Moses, Sister Eleanor, any response to that video? Brother Moses, first is Sister Eleanor. Well, the, the whole thing of slavery and the uh, abuse of child labor is common, even in the United States right now. There was a uh, a reporter named Hannah who focused on migrant children 
who had uh, been, you know, they've been coming to the United States with their, without their parents in record numbers and are ending up in some of the most punishing jobs in the country. Uh, many children have worked on uh, uh, the production for big companies. I'm talking, including Whole Foods, Walmart, J. Crew, Frito Lay, and uh, I'm I'm talking about young kids, 15 year olds. They violate labor laws, let alone child labor laws. So. Uh, the whole issue of slavery and abuse is not only a South African issue, it's an imperialistic, capitalist, colonial issue. Your thoughts? And that's why it's so important that labor movements between the colonized and the uh, proletariat in the imperialist nation form relationships because our goals are, 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 are parallel and our interests uh, are similar and, and, our, and, and with similar goals and similar interests, we can um, make uh, headway. But the most important thing is organizing. But I don't think these, uh, um, these labor stories are, are have not been coming to light, and it is good that Brother Anthony and Brother Haki in this program uh, allows us to uh, learn of them and be aware of them. Your thoughts, Brother Moses? I'm, I, I've watched several videos, but I don't remember this video, evidently. Okay, no problem. But Brother Anthony and panelists also, well, the point about the video I thought really interesting is the ideal. You know how the system structure, where if you got wealth, they allow you to inherit the wealth from one generation to another, and now you mm. continue to get the wealth from the exploitation where their parents have taken from other people. But the idea that he raised that it's crazy for children to inherit debt, inherit debt, and keep taking the debt, and they had nothing to do with it. You know, that, that makes no sense. What do y'all make about that particular uh, frame of thought and that logic, Brother Anthony? Uh, it reminds me of how they, uh, of how they, uh, of how, how they, that, that they kept us in a, in a, in a form of slavery. Uh, we, uh, uh, in, in, inside the U S because, uh, 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 you know, uh, uh, rather than our property, uh, that would be passed on from one generation to the next. That's how they kept our sh- sharecroppers con- confined uh, to the, uh, uh, you know, to these occupations. Where, and also, they had that uh, a lot of a lot of towns had laws against what was called vagrancy. Or or, or, or or being or, or, or being unemployed, that was also used as a tool uh, to keep people uh, uh, bound to these uh, to, to you know to, to what was called sharecropping, which uh, which to me is an, uh, 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 another, another form of slavery, just short of the uh, whips and chains associated with chattel slavery. 
mean, that by itself can start a movement in terms of reassessing this question of what is reality and doesn't have to be. Because, you know, passing debt from one generation to another, but don't allow the same people where the wealth come from to have access to do wealth from one generation to their, to their people. By the way, brother and sister, let's go to Brother Moses right now. Brother Moses, what's going on in your world community? Well, last Sunday um, at the Lincoln Memorial, there was a, a march to the uh, Capitol, I believe, from the Lincoln Memorial. Um, uh, um, I think Ron Paul and some of his forces, among other people, were united around getting defunding the Ukrainian um, efforts by um, the Biden administration uh, and the imperialist forces uh, um, to stop the funding of Ukraine. So it was a rage against the war machine, I believe it was called. And um, some some groups um, didn't unite around that united front uh, because because of the um, the end in goals of uh, people like Ron Paul and uh, but anyway on coming up this March 18th Saturday 1 p.m. at the White House there will be a, a march a rally and a march against um, the war in Ukraine uh, NATO and uh, and uh, all the imperialist wars uh, we need to stop this endless wars, and that will be a rally, and um, that will be by the Answer Coalition and other groups, uh, Code Pink, etc. Uh, on March 25th, we're planning on having some kind of a gathering at, at um, St. Stephen's Church in D.C., uh, 16th and Newton, I believe. And uh, Northwest, and hopefully uh, we'll be showing a film. I'm trying to remember the name. Of it. I think it's Maestro, but I'm not sure. Uh, uh, but it's the, the DC Metropolitan Coalition in solidarity with the Cuban Revolution will be will be educating people about the situation in Cuba, and somebody from the embassy will hopefully will be there, and and uh, it'll be a uh, Solidarity with the Cuban people at this time, and um, those three things I think main things on my mind right now. Um, I like to say, in terms of capitalism, um, um, we live in a wage slave system. The Civil War was was the South wanted to maintain chattel slavery in order for its political economy to thrive, and the North had industrialists and needed wage slaves for its with industry and so the class between the the old and the new was begun and so the wage slavery won out and so we're in the wage slave system now uh, um you you don't your whole your whole entire life is not given to the to the uh system but it's pieced out a piece of your life but it's, it's such a piece of your life that it encompasses most of your life the great a great portion of your life anyway, and then the proletariat is demanding the end to the wage slave system itself. What we need is a, as a government to recognize we need food, clothing, and shelter, and that we need education and we need health care. 
And that, you know, the government is about providing providing for its people and uh, with the surplus profits that come from from the wage slave system. And uh, and as we transition from 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 socialized production, private appropriation, into a socialized this socialism and in, in transition to communism, uh, um, the wage slave system will 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 uh, evaporate eventually uh, as as we we create a new creature, a new human being, uh, a new way of looking at the world. Uh, uh, the political economy will be is will be socialized, uh, free education and free health care, and so the pursuit of of uh, humanness, of full 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 faculties of one's one's uh, mind and, and aspirations can be realized uh, more readily because the society will be more supportive rather than this system where everything is about profits. It's about it. You don't do it unless you're going to see somehow you're going to make some money out of it. And so and it, it's more and more evident that socialism is needed because look around the world with these earthquakes and floods and fires and stuff. The, if a government is not socialist, Socialists, how are we going to take care of these people? How, what's going to happen to them? Um, the world is crying out spontaneously for socialism. It's just a matter of getting scientific from from spontaneous and, and organization. And that's the struggle in terms of capitalism for me. Thank you. Thank you, Brother Moses. Going to Sister Eleanor, what's going on in your world and the community? In the community, Sister Eleanor. Well, uh, one thing, just to add on the back of Brother Moses, is the phenomena that Cuba, um, besides the event coming up on uh, on uh, March 25th, is uh, Cuba's uh, healthy lesson that it gives to all of us. Um, it's uh, cut, you know, though it's cut off from uh, much of world trade, uh, that was able to, uh, it was able to keep the COVID-19 deaths low by developing and having developed its own vaccine and rolling them out to 95% of the citizens at uh, one of the fastest rates in the world. So you, you saw less deaths. Um, there's been a new film made, um, uh, it's a pretty remarkable story about this vaccine, and there's been a uh, a new film made, which uh, or it's a video made in Havana, and it's based on interviews with the Cuban scientists, doctors, and public health experts, and how they were able to do this, and how being a sovereign country, and and uh, how they developed the capacity to build their own infrastructure and solidarity to help all those in need throughout the country. I think that is something that uh, everyone should look forward to. And the earthquake on February 6th that affected both Turkey and uh, Syria, it it is amazing how, um, uh, I'm sorry, um, is it Iran or is it? Syria, that the, the country that we have the embargoes or, or sanctions against, 
um, the people and the number of deaths are still unknown simply because uh, in Turkey they're only concerned about the upcoming elections and not looking at what's going on and 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 their fortunes while um, the the masses are suffering and un, you know you have something like forty eight thousand people dead. These these kind of death tolls are phenomenal, and it is only the result of global warming. And the sooner that we organize, mobilize, and stop the 1% from the exploitation of the planet and its masses, the sooner we will save all our lives, the 99% plus the 1%. And, and people have to stop just blindly walking behind and uh, ignoring what's going on because, as I had said, you know, we're talking about child labor and it's a a problem in the United States and how the children, uh, I I mentioned the companies and I'll mention them again, Frito-Lay, Whole Foods, these are these businesses that we assume are doing the right thing, but they are employing these unaccompanied children that are entering our country, these poor children from whatever communities they are, and they are uh, Walmart and J. Crew. I don't think any of us should, uh, I do not enter Walmart, so I have not, and uh, J. Crew have been there for years, and Frito-Lay is off of my list as well. We must put our dollars and our consciousness where it will have an impact. And I think boycotts are very important. We've seen the impact of sanctions on nations. Well, economic boycotts by consumers also have great impact. And I think this whole thing of slavery um, uh, and slaving these children and slaving slaving laborers has just gone too far, and it and it is just something that is taken for granted, and and the the, the workers are so divided, uh, the elite from from the hourly wage slaves, until it uh, it's just uh, outrageous and. Um, we we just need to raise our support for Cuba, um, organizations, unions, policy groups, et cetera, interfaith community, you know, whomever it is, um, ANC commissioners, whomever it is, because this is a uh, not only a uh, uh, international issue is a, it it is truly a domestic issue and the issue of clean water you know in Jackson Mississippi and Flint Michigan there's an issue with unsanitary water well um last week it was a very small article about water in DC and that for a month or more, they're going to have to change the filtering system, and they are going to be using uh, chlorinated water. And they were telling you to run your water for at least 10 minutes at full force and then to filter your water through a bretta or something of that type. 
but it also warned that this still may not take the lead out of the water. And in talking to someone and talking to different people, they told me or informed me, and I I do not know, but I trust my sources, that uh, chlorine is a carcinogenic. So um, Mayor Bowser hasn't spoken out about this issue, and uh, there's been no action taken. About 20 years ago, we had a water crisis, and... Uh, and everyone was given lead tests and other things and, and the equipment to be able to survive the uh, crisis. But this one seems to be going um, under the uh, radar. It was, uh, as I said, published in a small article, but there's been no discussion in the in the main news or from the mayor or from the Department of Health or anyone. And so we see uh, Jackson, Mississippi, Washington, D.C., the District of Columbia, Flint, Michigan, and um, we see also in East uh, Palestine, Ohio, and this uh, increased water crises, as well as we see the major aqueduct problem Facing the and the Colorado River, putting in how it's affecting Colorado, Wyoming, Wyoming, um, New Mexico, Nevada, Arizona, and Texas. And uh, this water crisis is uh, very serious, and uh, people are going to have to support each other in helping the elderly and the disabled to get bottled water in their homes or doing something to protect the health of the, of our neighbors and our friends and our community. So I would urge anyone living in the district or near the district to make sure that they, uh, if they know elderly and disabled people or, or, or single family households with children to please help those folks get bottled water in their homes for at least the next month until we, uh, make it through this crisis. This water crisis. Thank you. Thank you, Sister Eleanor, and to our listening audience and our panelists today. Uh, sometimes issues comes up. We have logistical problems on this board, and we want to make sure we give you the professionalism that you deserve, you the listening audience. What we have to do is we have to shorten this program today, and we will continue this discussion after fighting part one or part two next week. And because of the logistical problems that we are having, uh, we hope to correct everything by next week, and we'll see you next week at 7 p.m. This is Africa on the Moon.
system is a plot against my people. Paris shall be for us. Nobody can be against us. If that is for my people, I don't know who can fight, who can fight to be my enemy. My Africa want to be free. Oh, oh. 